That's it for announcements. Today, we uh, finish up, we wrap up our Who Is My Neighbor uh, series. And we get to do something today. I get to do something that I have never done in four years at U City Family Church. I have never sat in, the, in one of the seats during the preaching portion and listened to somebody else preach. But I'm going to do that today. Uh, we have a guest speaker, a guy named Vince Bantu. Dr. Vince Bantu is with us. Um, Vince, uh, yeah, you can, yeah, come on, you can. Um, uh, I, I was at a conference several, uh, I guess several weeks ago now, um, at Covenant Seminary, and the, the, the title of the conference was Orthodox Activism, and it was all about sort of this question of how do we live out the, the gospel um, do we live it out just, you know, sort of in our beliefs, or do we live it out just in our actions? And this this conference said, hey, we should be living it out both in our beliefs and in our actions. Um, and so I just thought that was really profound. And one of the speakers, one of the lecturers at this conference was um, Dr. Vince. And uh, I remember sitting there, and I sat was sitting in the front row, and he was talking all about this, and he was focusing on this question of who is my neighbor and what does that really mean. And I was taking notes. Um, and then after the class, I went up and introduced myself, and I said, can you send me your notes from that lecture? Because, and then I didn't say this out loud, but I was thinking, because I want to rip those off and preach those at U City Family Church, is what I was thinking. Um, but I said, you know, just as a point of reference for research and so forth. Um, and so sure enough, he did send them to me, uh, and as, as I was getting ready for this week's sermon, I was looking over those notes, and I got to thinking, I thought, you know, I mean, I could, I, could, I could, you know, extract some stuff from here and preach it to you. But what if I just had him come and preach it? Uh, this is his area of focus. In fact, um, let me read you just a little bit about Vince. This is, this is something that, this is sort of the area of focus in his academic field. Um, Vince has a, uh, uh, a doctor of philosophy from the Catholic University of America, a master's of theology from Princeton, a Master's of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell, and a B.A. in Theology from Wheaton College. So the guy's read a couple books. Um, <laughs> and his academic interests include issues of racial reconciliation, non-Western Christianity, and theological education in under-resourced communities. So this is the, the area of focus that he really uh, digs into for his research. He is uh, currently teaching at Covenant Seminary, and he's a, an associate pastor at Jubilee Community Church in uh, North St. Louis. So I'm just excited to have Vince come up and speak and just listen to his, um, to his take on this question, who is my neighbor? So let's give him a big, warm U-City Family Church welcome. Welcome, Dr. Vince Bantu. Thanks, brother. Amen, amen. Good morning, U-City Family Church. Amen, amen. Everything Pastor Brent just said is not true. So don't, I mean, you can rip off anything I'm about to say, but it might not be to your advantage. But, <laughs> but uh, that, thank you for the warm welcome. It's so good to be here. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And we're going to be uh, starting off at verse 17. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say hold on. All right. We are not in a hurry up in here. Mark 10. And verse 17, and if you don't have it now, then you'll get there. And it says, as Jesus started on his way, 
a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is that, that we are stewards of this word. We thank you, Lord God, that we can continue our worship. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body and worship you through songs, through our tithes and offerings, through our fellowship, and through our reading, proclamation, and application of your holy word. And so we invite you into this place and ask that you continue to reign, that you would continue to be glorified, and that you would speak a fresh word right now, this morning, to us through your word in Mark 10. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, you City Family Church. It's a, good, uh, it's a great pleasure for me to be here with you all today, uh, you know, doing lots of introductions and my hand's getting tired already, uh, but it's a good kind of tired and appreciate the, the um, you know, kind of the, the warm introduction that my brother and my, my friend, Pastor Brent, gave. Um, and, you know, when I think about introductions, you know, I think about, uh, you know, a time where I was at a leadership training with uh, leaders from around the country and we were introducing ourselves and, you know, kind of like giving each other the, the background information, you know, like Pastor Brent was just doing for me. And, uh, but they were saying, tell everybody something about us that we might not be able to tell by looking at you or we might not know just from reading kind of your resume or whatever. And so everybody's going around and they're, you know, kind of, I should have got the hint, you know, the kind of things that I should probably say something that looks me good, makes me look good and look spiritual. Because everybody was giving these answers like, well, my name is Joe and I'm the pastor of this or I'm a professor here or I'm a leader in this nonprofit. And, you know, I really love hiking or I love, you know, so it's kind of like just generic stuff. But I don't know why the first thing that came to my mind when it came around to my turn was, well, I'm, my name's Vince and, uh, you know, I do this and that and the resume stuff. And I really love fighting. And I wish that the reaction had been like that, because it wasn't like that at all. It was kind of just like, you know, like, like these blank stares and crickets. And then I was just like, yeah, so next turn, you know. And, you know, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, Vince, come on, man. You're like a six foot four, 300 pound, big brown dude. You don't need more reasons to 
make people feel intimidated. You already have to deal with people crossing the street, holding the purses tight. Don't, don't give people more of a reason. You ask, you're asking for it, man. And so, but you know, they ask, they ask me like, what's something that you just love? What's something about you? And I'm like, I really love fighting, you know? And so, uh, and you know, Pastor Brent knows, and I'm a, I'm a huge uh, martial arts. I was just talking with, uh, uh, um, with one couple of the brothers beforehand. They were like, did you play football? But I love, you know, I've always loved martial arts and boxing. And we actually were up at Jubilee. I'm actually starting a kickboxing ministry, right? So that's when we knock you out and then lay hands on. And or it's when we lay, we lay hands in Jesus' name, right? And in a different kind of way. Um, but this is something that's really near and dear to my heart. You know, I love fighting in a very respectful, controlled, and a way where no one, where people can walk. I'm telling you, if you've ever fought before, it's actually a very bonding experience. You should, you should try it. But, um, uh, but this is actually my favorite sport, like boxing, kickboxing. I love it, right? But every, everybody was just looking at me kind of like, and then it's so funny because, you know, and then it, you know, kind of turned into this joke where the leader of the conference, every time he, came, every time he saw me walking in the halls or saw me like, hey, Vince, huh, let's go. You know, and I'm like, okay, man, this isn't going away anytime soon. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's always kind of felt like uh, this part of me is kind of like uh, something I have to hide, you know. Like, I even one time was, uh, I remember about a year ago, I had a fight, like a, you know, a a competition kickboxing fight. And then I went to church the next day with a black eye. And then I had to preach uh, in in Newark, New Jersey. And I was using the, I was talking about the fight, you know, in the sermon and everything. And then I had someone come up to me after church and was like, you a pastor, you ain't supposed to be fighting, you know. And, uh, And so I've always had this kind of feeling like this, this part of who I am doesn't really mesh with or it doesn't, you know, kind of make sense with this other part of who I am. Um, but I've been really encouraged that, uh, you know, and, and God has been encouraging me that, Vince, you keep fighting, okay? You keep doing that. And because that's a part of who you are and it's what you love and, you know, you want to get your jaw broken, that's your business. But you go ahead and do that because this is, you know, and, and God's really been encouraging me uh, that, you know, the, these various disparate parts of who I am and my identity and kind of all the different things that make who I am up, uh, that they can go together, right? That they that I can embrace differences and complexity and all in one person. Um, so I wanted to. Um, so another thing about me that you you know again that you wouldn't know is that I am a huge uh, movie buff. I love movies. I'm a huge movie fan. That's why uh, Sister Mary and I we're a kindred spirit. Um, and uh, this is something I always I always have to show movie clips when I'm talking or anything like that. It just I, I'm just into that. So I want to show a movie clip to kind of further exemplify what I'm talking about. So this is a a scene from the movie Spider-Man Two, one like the first Spider-Man Two because it gets confusing. Um, but uh, this is the good one. And um, this is a, a scene where this is a movie where you know Peter Parker is struggling with this same dynamic of trying to how to how to wrestle with being Peter Parker and being Spider-Man at the same time. And and this movie's just wrestling with it. And the scene we come to is a part where he's on the way to his girlfriend's uh, play, but he gets interrupted by his, you know, sp- he's trying to be Peter Parker and do the duties of Peter Parker, but he gets interrupted by his Spider-Man duties, and that's the, that's the scene we come to here. Work out, plenty of rest, you know, eat your green vegetables. That's what my mom is always saying. I just never actually believed her.
Whatever. Hey, you might wanna... Can I help you? Yeah, I, uh... Come to see the show. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. No one will be seated after the doors are closed. It helps maintain the illusion. Ah, I understand. Miss Watson, she's a friend of mine. She asked me to come. But not to come late. I have to see this show. You just let me in, I'll stand in the... Mm. Listen, can't you... Mm. Civil War, just a few more months. We're going to see Spider-Man again. All right. I'm just so blessed right now. To be, this is, I think this might actually be my first time preaching in a movie theater. This is like, speaking of, I mean, this, I, this just hit me. The whole, thank you, Holy Spirit. Like, this, this embodies right now the spirit of what we're talking about, right? Different things, different passions, different aspects of who we are living together as one. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to stay here because this is awesome. Theater in a church. This is like, or church in a theater. Um, yeah, I, 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 love, I love movies. Um, I'm, I'm, I got my Star Wars tickets already. I got them the first day they came out, so I'm, I'm totally pumped up for that. Um, but, you know, I, you know I, I love finding reason to stick them in, even if it's not relevant. But, um, but I think this one's relevant in the sense that, again, this is just an example of sometimes how, you know, it's hard sometimes juggling uh, different aspects of who we are that sometimes seem to be at odds with each other uh, and that sometimes feel like they don't fit together. Right, but the thing is, is that we don't have to be Spider-Man to have different sides of who we are, and uh, because God has made us very complex, and especially as Christians, the way that God has made us and the, the call that God has on our life is a very complex one, and it is made up of different parts, different components that sometimes might seem to be at odds with one another, and. You know, um, you guys have been talking about this theme of who is my neighbor, right? And, and, and Pastor Brent has been leading us uh, through an understanding of, through, the, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan of uh, the way in which Jesus shows up and he just basically just blows up, just expands the disciples and the early Christians' mindset of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That it means just so much more. Right? Pastor Brent's been talking about how it's, a, it's, it's not an or, but it's an and, right? That uh, has God called us as believers to, uh, to, to stand up for right belief and right and truth and, uh, and, and, and spread the gospel, right? Yes. Uh, and has God called us or has God called us to, you know, uh, address the needs of the suffering and to, to loosen the yoke of the oppressed and, uh, and to fight for justice and to meet people's physical needs? Yes, it's not an or, but it's an and, that, that, that God's call on his disciples is all of these things. And we're going to press a little bit more into that uh, as, as, you know, or, or, you know as, the, as the sermon title says, is that, that uh, following God is all of that, right? It's not either or, uh, but that the gospel, it's all that, that Jesus is all that. He is all that, right? So I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, um, in, you know, in my early 90s slang terminology, 
Um, but uh, we were, it's funny, we were, some of the leaders and I were just joking about how, how young I am, and I'm kind of in that weird place where the grays are coming, uh, you know, and then the, the, and then the other ones that aren't gray are starting to just kind of fizzle out and got some bald spots coming and have, the back problems are coming, but, but, you know, still kind of, you know, young enough, and, and so I'm in that weird, you know, kind of phase. In fact, last night, I felt really old because um, this was actually my, Pastor Britt mentioned, I'm, I'm from this area originally, I actually grew up just about a mile north of here, and, uh, and uh, this is actually my, but I've, I've been gone for 15 years. This is actually my first Halloween back at home in, since I was a, a kid. And so it's, it's interesting being here as an adult. But I just, I, last night I took my kids out trick-or-treating in my, we went on our street where we live now, but we actually went to my old street. I, so I lived on a street called Bell Rue, which is if you go down Kingsland and you go up past Olive, then you'll hit it in just a few more blocks. And, uh, and so uh, I just remember I have these like, you know, probably romanticized ideas of what trick-or-treating was like growing up. Like we were all outside and, you know, all the, all the houses were giving out candy and you could get a full basket just on your own block. And, and, you know, that really was how it felt as a kid. Everybody was outside. And last night I took my kids, I was all like building it up, like saying, hey kids, we're going to go back to daddy's old block. We're going to go trick-or-treating there too. And we went there and the whole block was just, just dark. Street lights were off. Houses, lights were turned off, and there was like, you know, one, one person even had to sign, like, don't come up and knock on my door. And I'm just like feeling like Peter Pan outside the window, like, like you know, I want, I just want some candy, you know. And so, uh, and, I'm just, and my kids are looking at me like, Daddy, you lied. You said we were going to get some candy up in here. You talking about how when you were a kid it was all this and that and this and that. And I just felt like this old guy, like, well, back in my day, we used to go trick-or-treating. And we didn't have to go to special places. You didn't have to go to Lindell and go to some mansions by Forest Park to get some candy. Everybody just opened up their own house, and they gave out the candy. I'm like this old grumpy man, like, complaining about how back in my day I walked to school uphill both ways in the snow. And, you know, I'm starting to feel some, I'm starting to feel kind of old, right? But, but uh, it's, it's funny because Pastor Brent and I were talking about, we were, we were commiserating on how we, uh, we both saw this movie. Um, probably should be saying this in the pulpit. But uh, we both saw this movie straight out of Compton. Um, and, you know, uh, it was... It it was a really like powerful movie. It's a really good movie. Uh, you know, it's got some issues. You know, got some stuff in it. But but you know, it's got some redeeming things in it, right? Uh, you know, Eusebius talked about the preparation for the gospel. There's a little bit of you know truth and everything. But um, but we were just talking about how it's just weird seeing the culture that we grew up in now becoming like a biopic and stuff that people are talking about back in the day. I'm like, wow, this is like this doesn't feel like it was back in the day, but it, this is what I grew up on, and now it's like. You know, I'm talking to people who are even in college or even, you know, teenagers, and they're, they're like thinking they never heard of NWA. I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, I am old. Um, but it, I was thinking about the slang, right, and even the lingo. Like, we used to have all these words. We would say things were fat, you know, P-H-A-T, and, you know, we would say that somebody would be illin', and, you know, we would say stuff was stupid, you know. Like, nobody says that anymore, you know, or if stuff was deaf, D-E-F, you know, like, uh, you know, and everything was, you know, liggity love and, uh, you know, uh, uh, all this kind of stuff, but we would say also that something was all that, right? I don't hear people saying that anymore, but, um, but you know, we would say, oh, that's all that, right? And, and, and that's really, you know, uh, that's really, I think, a good ebonic uh, translation of the gospel when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's all that, right? But it, it can have a double sense to it, that it's, it is all that in the sense that it's all that in a bag of chips, but it's also all that in that it's complex and that it's, you know, it's multifaceted, right? That the gospel of Jesus Christ includes all of these different things. It's not or, but it's and, right? It's all that. And so, you know, I just wanted to share a little bit more about kind of why this is 
historically significant, right? And why actually that in an awesome church like U City Family Church, uh, you know, I mean, just such a great, you know, uh, uh, diversity here and, and also just like really pressing in to God's heart for serving the poor, you know, with this outreach you guys did last week is awesome. And, right, and so in a, in a context like this, we might actually even take it for granted that, yeah, like, duh, you know, like, uh, of course, you know, like discipleship and justice go together, right? But the sad truth is actually that that is actually not a given in the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, right? And in fact, uh, the church that we find ourselves in globally is one in which these two things are actually pitted against each other. And uh, just wanted to share a little bit more about um, kind of the, what's called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. Uh, if I can, you know, put on my, you know, nerdy professor hat just for one second. Um, and I know you guys have talked about this just a little bit, but in the early 20th century, uh, you, know, at, you know, kind of when modernism is really taking, you know, taking full shape, the church kind of uh, is disrupted and go, is, especially the church of the United States, kind of goes in two different directions. Where on the one hand you have uh, this group called fundamentalists. Well, they're not, they don't call themselves that, but that's what they're called by the opponents, which is always the case in church history. Uh, you know, someone's names came from their opponents. And then the other side is these, you know, folks that are modernists, right? Christians who are, you know, attempting to wrestle with the findings of modern science and trying to reconcile those things with um, the fundamental truth claims of, of Christianity. And one of the uh, probably clearest examples of the modernist perspective was a sermon that was preached by Harry Emerson Fosdick, um, who was a pastor in a church that I actually used to teach in for a New York Theological Seminary, Riverside Church, which was a this huge church. Anybody ever been Upper West Side Manhattan? It's, it's the really big one uh, right on uh, Riverside Drive. And uh, he preached a sermon, actually not in Riverside, but before that he was in First Pres in Manhattan. He preached a sermon called, Shall the Fundamentalist Win? Um, and this, this, you know, I just have an, a quick excerpt that I'll read here. It gives us kind of a good uh, perspective of kind of the modernist position. Uh, and it kind of, this quote kind of shows us what issues that the modernists are taking. He says, they insist that we must believe in the historicity of certain special miracles. When he says they, he's talking about the fundamentalists. Preeminently the virgin birth of our Lord, that we must believe in a special theory of inspirations, that the original documents of the scripture, which of course we no longer possess, were inerrantly dictated to men a good deal as a man might dictate to a stenographer. That we must believe in a special theory of the atonement, that the blood of our Lord shed in a substitutionary death placates an alienated deity and makes possible welcome for the returning sinner. And that we must believe in the second coming of our Lord upon the clouds of heaven to set up a millennium here as the only way in which God can bring history to a worthy denouement. Such are some of the stakes which are being driven to mark a deadline of doctrine around the church. So you can see in this, you know, excerpt that Fosdick clearly is painting the fundamentalists as these kind of bigoted, uh, you know, short-minded people that are really trying to kind of push people out of, you know, the, it really kind of, again, seeing themselves as the poor victimized and, and then, you know, the, the fundamentalists as kind of the, um, kind of the, the clicky people that are, you know, judging people's Christianity. And so on the other side, you have a response from a pastor, uh, you know, just a little, while, little ways away in Philadelphia called Clarence McCartney. And Clarence McCartney um, actually preached a sermon in response called Shall Unbelief Win? And we have a quick excerpt from that where Clarence McCartney r responds by saying, they who above all others ought to read this sermon, they being the, the modernists, um, are not the conservatives and not the rationalists, but the middle of the road people who are fondly hoping that these schools are divided only by a difference in words and names and that the two positions can and will be reconciled. Dr. Fosdick's sermon shows that the impossibility and the non-desirability of such reconciliation, if Dr. Fosdick is right, his views ought to prevail. 
and the creed of the Presbyterian Church and of every other church in Christendom, save the smaller humanitarian bodies like the Unitarians, and which are really creedless, as to either a written or unwritten creed ought to be revised. If this is true, then let it prevail. No matter how many churches sink into oblivion, but whether he is right or whether the evangelical position is right, one thing all must admit now, both positions cannot be right, one must be wrong. Now, um, if we go to the next slide, we'll see that this, uh, this kind of um, you know, schism that was happening in the early 20th century, it ended up kind of dividing the church into two kind of large camps, right? Um, and on the one side, you have you know, the fundamentalists where the value is more on, as we can even see in the quote from Pastor McCartney, that the value is more on the, on, uh, the truth. Um, Oh, those are, those are flipped. <laughs> well, that's kind of, you know, anyway. This side is the, the modernist side. And, uh, you know, uh, but on the fundamentalist side, the focus is more spiritual as opposed to physical, right? The, the idea, the priority, and I don't know if anybody relates to this, but I actually grew up in a church that, um, that was probably more influenced by the modernist system of thought. The idea that someone's spiritual well-being is more important than their physical well-being. And therefore, uh, you know, it's more important to see that people get saved. Uh, but whether people have housing, if they have fair employment, if they have, you know, racial and gender justice, if, uh, you know, if justice is served, that's not really as important. That's, you know, because we're all going to die anyway, and this is all going to burn up. So the main thing is we've got to get people saved, right? And there was this kind of dichotomy that, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, like save the soul and don't worry about the body, right? Um, and, uh, you know, whereas the, 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 the modernist side was more focused on justice, right, more focused on kind of a uh, more of a post-millennial view of we need to bring in the kingdom by making things right now, right? Uh, there's more of a focus in fundamentals for, like, truth, whereas uh, in, the, in the modern side it's more on justice. Uh, a, a, another kind of disparity between evangelism and equity or apologetics and liberation, like fighting for the truth, contesting against false teachings versus contesting against false practices, Right? I have a friend who's a professor of religion at WashU, and he really, I think, kind of summed it up very well. Uh, he's speaking as someone who's kind of in this modernist camp where, uh, again, not upholding the truth of Scripture, you know, kind of these, these central Christian teachings that, that Fosdick and McCartney were addressing. Uh, and he, the way he put it was, and I thought it was a really good summary of kind of where uh, what we call liberal Christianity is at. It's that for us, you know, he says, speaking for liberal Christians, for us, it's not really important what you believe. It's more important how you treat people. Right. And when I heard that, you know, honestly, um, I grew up in a church where if I heard something like that, I would be trained to like kind of harshly rebuke this person and apologeticize this person. Right. And start arguing with them. And, you know, like and but, you know, honestly, my first reaction was actually just feeling hurt. Right. It was actually just feeling really broken that that, again, this this fundamentalist trajectory of Christianity has has really and then they're kind of the reactionary side of going to the other you know going in the other direction has created this polarization in the church to where believers are made to feel like you have to pick one right you have to like it's almost like you have to pick something like you know I'm I'm a biracial person I don't know if we have any other biracial people in the house okay I'm alone that's okay but um but uh uh, you know, I grew up in, in, a, in, I grew up right here, actually, right? I grew up just a few blocks north of here. And, and this is, uh, you know, U-City Family Church. I mean, you, I, I don't have to tell you, you guys know the cultural and the socioeconomic and the racial significance of where you are, right? You, we are in the nexus. You know, where I grew up right here in this neighborhood, used to walk down to the loop and hang out, buy comic books from Wizard's Wagon, you know, but when they actually still sold. You guys know that actually, that actually started as a, before the Star Clipper was around. That was the comic book store. And I uh, used to go there and, you know, just hang out. This is the nexus, right? I mean, because we're at the city-county line, right? We're at, an, we're at an official divide, 
you know, in the city. But we're also at a very unofficial, but probably equally real, if not more real, divide, which is the Del Mar divide, which we know about, right? And we're right in the nexus of that. And God has placed this community here to be a beacon of light and a beacon of reconciliation in a city that's so divided, right? Uh, it's so divided, especially right now we have the global spotlight on us. And, 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 and really it's just kind of showing our business, right, of how divided we really are. And that's, but it's, again, showing us, and, 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 and you have churches, awesome churches like yours that are responding to that need, right, and showing and standing up as a light, showing that, you know, we have to be, for the church to be relevant, to, ful- to truly fulfill the mission of God, we have to stand up both for God's truth and for God's justice. These things are not polarized concepts, but they live together in unity, right? And that's what, that's what uh, this passage really calls us into, as, as well as does the passage of the Good Samaritan, right? The, the, person who was talking, the, the person who was talking with Jesus and asked, who is my neighbor? He had a very narrow definition of who his neighbor was, right? He, he knew what he knew. Um, but Jesus just, again, he expands his mindset, right? He's showing him that it's, it's who is your neighbor? It's all that, right? It's all, it's everyone you see. It's, it's bigger than what you thought it was. And that's the same thing that happens here for this rich young man who talks to Jesus. So uh, Jesus, you know, he's, he's starting on his way and this guy comes up to him and he says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, you know, Jesus isn't saying that because he's not good, but he's saying that because He's basically trying to let the teacher know or let this person know that if you're going to address me, understand who I really am. I'm God, right? So he's basically saying, if you are calling me good, that means you recognize that I'm God. It's God you're talking to. I'm not just a teacher, right? So Jesus is letting us know. And and so right there we see something that the fundamentalists would like, right? The truth claims of of, of Scripture. But then he says, you know the law, and he kind of rattles it out for him. Now he says, I've done all that stuff. I've kept his voice. So he's a good, observant, uh, you know, uh, God-honoring Yahweh worshiper, right? He's, he's, he's good. So again, he has his understanding of what it means to follow God, that it's about keeping the commandments. But Jesus says, there's one more thing you lack. And this is what I love too about how it says, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him, right? And again, Jesus doesn't look at him and judge him or, or criticize him, but he looks at him and loves him. And he says, one thing you lack though, um, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you will receive treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, right? So Jesus is letting him know Following me, again, that's what he talks about. See, the guy, notice the, the distinction. The guy comes up to him and says, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus responds with saying, come and follow me, right? So following Jesus is the way to receive eternal life. And so he, and he but he, 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 again, he expands this guy's mindset of what it means to inherit eternal life. He's saying following me doesn't just mean keeping my commandments, having your kind of your righteousness in place or having your, you know, I guess your fundamentals in place, but it also means addressing the issues of injustice in the world around you. And it also means following me has to do with every part of you, right? God is, Jesus is saying, give to Caesar what's Caesar, give to God what's God. Well, what Caesar is the coin? That's what, what, I mean, what's on the coins, uh, what image does the coin bear? It's It's Caesar, right? What image do we bear? We bear the image of God. So yeah, the coin belongs to Caesar, but we belong to God. That means everything we have belongs to God. And the, every, the way in which we interact with the world belongs to God. That's what, that's what he's trying to tell this guy. And so, but the guy, he can't do it, right? Because Jesus knew that his, his riches were his kind of his downfall. That's the one thing that he said he lacked, that he wasn't ready to let go of. And, and so he, he just kind of walks away sad. And then, Jesus gives the, and then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, man, it is so hard for you know, rich people to enter heaven. It's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than a camel go through the eye of a needle. And he says it twice. You know, he says it once, and then you know, the disciples are shocked. 
And then he says it again. You know, it's like, you know, they were, they were shocked. And then Jesus, you know, just kind of drives, drives it in further, right? And, and, and then they're even more shocked. Well, why are they shocked? Because in Jesus' culture, in his time, rich, it was believed that rich people were closer to God. Right. They had more money to buy sacrifices. They had they were they, they were seen as, you know, the more um, prosperity you have to, you know, kind of bring it to our day, the, the more the closer you were to God. And Jesus is again coming in and he's just totally reversing people's mindset of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, actually, it's, it's hard for rich people. It's, it's even harder for them than it is for poor people is what he's saying. And there's and they're just shocked because in their mindset, rich people are the ones that are most likely going to get into heaven. And so he's just, he's wrecking their, their, their mentality, and that's why they're saying, well, then, then who, how can this happen? Like, how, who, if they can't get in, then how are we ever going to get in? But then Jesus says, with God, it's impossible, right? Or in the Greek, it says, uh, literally, with, with man, which is, it, which is where, where there is a lack of power, right? There's a lack of ability, right? There's, a, there's, there's no, it's, it, it, humans are a dunatos, right? There's no, there's no dunatos, there's no power, right, inside uh, mankind to do this for himself. But with God, there is dunatos, there's power, right, for God to do this. Um, and then, and again, Jesus isn't just offering a criticism here, but it's an invitation. He's saying that, you know, nobody who leaves father and mother, and when it says, you know, leaves father and mother, actually an even better way to translate that is that, uh, Whoever, uh, you know, yields mother and father and, and brother and sister or whoever forsakes or whoever. It doesn't mean that, you know, following Jesus means you have to turn your back on your family. But it's saying that you're putting God first. It means that God becomes first more than anything else. More, you know, even, I mean, I love my wife and my kids more than anything. But God has to come first for me in, in all things, right? And, uh, and so he says nobody who does that is going to fail to receive a hundredfold, right? So he's saying that you, you, sometimes following Jesus might mean putting you at odds with the world. But he's saying that nobody who, uh, who fails to do that is, gonna, is not going to receive a hundredfold, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. That's the body of Christ. I mean, this is you, City Family Church, because how many of you guys know you're sitting next to family this morning? You're in, this, is, you're in, this is a family gathering. This is a family affair. And, I mean, this is much bigger than my family was when I was coming up. This is probably bigger than most of your families. You, this is the family that Jesus promises us. So Jesus, this is an invitation Right. This is Jesus is saying there's a greater life that's to be had. He said he I came that they would have life and that more abundantly. And so Jesus is offering us a more abundant life. And it's one that is, again, not an either or, but it's a both and it's it's one of evangelism, discipleship, uh, apologetic, standing up for the truth of the gospel, but also one of justice and racial reconciliation and, and, and wholeness and and bringing development to our community. It's all of these things. Right. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, this is something that I really wrestled with uh, coming up because, uh, you know, it's funny because I grew up a biracial person in a very multi-ethnic neighborhood. And, uh, but it's interesting that I didn't actually, this was, this was actually something that God had to really do in me because I didn't have this perspective. Um, and mostly because I wasn't taught it, right? I was raised in a church that, uh, and God bless them, you know, they, they, you know I, I received a lot of good things from it. But, you know, I was raised in just a cultural context, a Christian context, where I was raised to believe that, you know, it's, it's evangelism that's more important. And, you know, kind of the social stuff doesn't matter. And, and you know, I, it, and it was interesting because I always grew up, I mean, you can't be biracial and grow up in a place as racially polarized as St. Louis and be born and raised right on the line, right? I mean, I actually was raised about, you know, a mile north of here, which we know what that's all about. And then I actually went to school, though, uh, you know, uh, over on this side. And so and we know what that's all about. And so I was kind of, you know, 
crossing the line every single day going to school. My mom didn't want me to go to school in my neighborhood because it was crazy. And so I went to school over on this side. And so I was raised seeing this difference every single day in the world around me. I was basically going from one planet to the other in about a half a mile. And and I, and, I, and I had this in my family. So I was always thinking about issues of race and issues of, you know, poverty and, and justice and things like this. But, again, I was taught that these things don't matter, right? That these things, you know, it doesn't, you know, kind of a it doesn't matter kind of mentality. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I, I think good intentions in that because we don't want these things to become a point of divisiveness. But a, a really big part of going back to the historical thing, a really big part of why so many more Christians on the more conservative side are kind of hesitant to justice issues is because of the his, this historical, you know, thing that happened. I mean, we were talking about my alma mater, Princeton, was kind of at the heart of this, where, you know, Princeton was once a very conservative school, and then, you know, the uh, conservative folks left right in the middle of all this controversy in the 20s and 30s, and they went and started Westminster Seminary to be part of a more, you know, and it was called the Battle for Princeton. And so people, that, that baggage is in people's minds, right? And it's in people's, um, we're carrying that baggage that, that, that uh, we've been in for almost 100 years now, where we have this division, and you have denominations that have split over this issue, where you have, you know, liberal Baptist, conservative Baptist, liberal Methodist, conservative Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, down the road, right? Where you have folks that are, again, you know, one might be holding more on to the, the, the truth claims of the gospel, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that his, aton- his death is the only atonement for our sins. Um, but again, you have these institutions that do not have a good track record with justice issues, right? And when a Ferguson happens, who are the people who are on the front lines? It's the, it's the liberal folks who have walked away from the truth of the scripture, right? And so in a way, a lot of us conservative Christians have given up the work of justice to other people who don't even believe in the very Bible from which the principles of justice come from. And so we have to take that back. Because the gospel is all that, right? It's all of that. Jesus is all of that. It's not, it's not either or. It's both and. And, and I, you know, um, but, you know, I grew up kind of with that same mentality. And I remember actually when I, went, when I was in high school, I went to Urbana. And, uh, and I kept hearing people talk about, you know, racial reconciliation and racial justice. And it's funny that, you know, I was actually, my first reaction to that was I was frustrated. I was really angry the first time I went to Urbana because I was like, why are they talking about race so much? They shouldn't be talking about this. this they shouldn't, you should, I was, I was frustrated and I was saying, you shouldn't be talking about this because it doesn't matter what color you are. The only thing that matters is that we're Christians. And, 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 that, and that's true, of course, right? But the Bible, the gospel is paradoxical, right? On the one hand, it doesn't matter what you are. And on the other hand, it actually does matter what you are, that God made us different, not to, not to ignore those differences, but to celebrate them in unity and in reconciliation, right? I mean, I can't go to a woman and say, oh, I don't see you as a woman. I just see you as a person, you know? You're just a person to me. You know, it's like, well, yeah, but I am also a woman, and, you know, that does affect, and you're a man, and that affects who we are. And, that, that, and that's a different aspect of God's image that he's put in us, right? And it's the same thing with all the different ways God has made us. It, it, it doesn't matter and at the same time, it does matter. And, and you know, but I, I, was, I was having this kind of negative reaction because that was the reaction that I was taught for myself. Because, again, growing up in this context with my background, I was always thinking about race. I was always, you know, like, it was always on my mind. Like, okay, daddy looks like that. Mommy looks like that. And I look like this. I look, you know, like from Saudi Arabia or something. And so, you know, did you guys really, am I adopted or something? Like, did you really, people used to ask my mom in the store, like, Are the, who, where'd you adopt those kids from? <laughs> She's like, from my womb. And so, you know. <laughs> And so, you know, I was always thinking about it. You know, it was always on my mind, but I was told that not to think about it. So basically, stop thinking about it. And so I had trained myself, you know, from the time I was a kid when I first got saved, you know, up until, you know, I was a teenager, like, don't think about it, don't think about it. And then when I saw other believers 
talking about it. And again, talking about it from the word, right? Showing, you know, from the word where these things matter. My first reaction was negative. But then as I, as God started to really show me his heart for racial justice in the word and his, and his heart for social justice and how these things are at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Justice without Jesus is just activism, Right. But the part but 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 justice is a part of the kingdom of God. This is God's agenda. I remember when you know, I was a, a student at, uh, in college, we invited um, a, a friend of mine who's now my mentor and a professor up at North Park Seminary. He came and spoke uh, at our college about justice and some like kind of harsh, hyper conservative students made this kind of angry website putting, um, and, and this person was Asian-American, so it was racist on top of just being, just being stupid in every way, but they made this website of Mao Zedong's body and put this speaker's face on the body. And so the, the assumption was that because he's talking so much about justice that he's a communist, right? And this is a communist agenda. But we have to reclaim this because this is God's agenda, right? This is justice and reconciliation. This isn't some liberal agenda or, some, or, or you know, some socialist agenda. This is God's agenda. God is the one who calls us to be unified, right? And not only to be unified, but even also to have difficult conversations about things that might sometimes be hard but are ultimately going to be more glorifying to God and bring us to a greater point of unity. Um, God calls us to uh, un- untie the yoke of the oppressed, right, and to lift the burden of the oppressed. And, and, uh, and, and you know, in First in, in John, it even says that if we see people in need and don't share with them, how can the love of God be in you, right? This is in God's word. And it's clear that the love of God is in everyone in here because that's what you're doing. And so uh, as we close, I just want to give you an encouragement today. That, that you are standing as a church, you are standing in a gap that has existed in the church for 100 years. The interesting thing is, because actually my, my, int- my greatest interest is in early Christianity. That's actually mostly what I do. And the interesting thing about this whole kind of schism is that it really didn't exist until about 100 years ago. The Christian church from the very beginning has been one of truth and justice at the same time. The idea that these concepts are polarized or at odds with each other is a modernist uh, is a peculiarity of modernism, right? This is not something that existed in the early church. It's not something that existed in the medieval church. That the, the people of God have always understood it to be their responsibility to both proclaim the truth of the gospel and to live it out through actions and through justice. That's, that's a, you know, but in, in, you know, more in our day, in the 20th and 21st century, we have this schism, right? But again, God is calling us to a place of understanding that it's all of that, right? It's not just one or the other. And so, you know, I just want to speak an encouragement to this church. And, you know, in our church, we're trying to do the same thing. And it's hard, amen? It's, this is, it's a hard thing that God calls us to. Uh, it's a hard discipleship that God called this man to. But it's ultimately one that's going to be more of a blessing. That's what Jesus promised that man. That, and that's what Jesus promised the disciples. Peter was like, well, we left everything to follow you. And so he, Peter's getting a little worried there. But, you know, Peter always, he kind of just, he's, he, he's kind of hasty sometimes. And, and Jesus assures Peter that nobody who leaves and forsakes and puts me first is going to fail to receive a hundredfold, both in this life and in the life to come, right? Jesus isn't just saying it's all about the, the by and by, but it's about right now as well, right? And, 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 and I just want to encourage you this morning that, that you are standing in a 100-year-old gap that is very needed right now. Uh, because, I mean, when the Ferguson thing happened, you have, you know, um, it, just, it just showed the gap more than ever. That you have, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, you have, I mean, you, you certainly have a lot of churches like this one and other folks that are really standing in the gap. But you have so many 
really the majority of, of, of believers, of communities of believers are saying like, well, this is, has nothing to do with the gospel. We're just going to stay out of that, stay away from that. And, but God is calling us to be in the center of these things, to be in the center of the work of justice and reconciliation as much as we are in the center of the proclamation of, God's, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and also the uplifting of his holy word. That these things are, they go together. It's all of that. And so I want to encourage you as you, as you move forward in this to, to not grow weary and to continue to press into this and to, and to continue to press into it and, and even to continue to ask God, you know, if, if following you is all of that, then what are some other ways that we need to do that? How, what are some other ways we need to press into? Maybe, you know, we, we, we have this great diversity. What are ways that we can really press into conversations that might be uncomfortable sometimes? Or what are some ways that we can really love our neighbor? Understand, now that we understand that everyone is our neighbor. And we live, and our church is in a community where we have literally uh, every, pretty much any social class, any type of person you could think of, all in one vicinity. How do we really uh, walk with people and build relationships with people? How do we understand that uh, the full, again, even the fullness of um, the fullness of of God's of the kingdom of God, and even the ministry of justice, right? Uh, even as how do how do we understand how to do that in a holistic way of both uh, you know uh, uh, you know Noel Castellanos uh, from CCDA just has a uh, had a new book come out um, the uh, where the cross meets the streets and he talks about the double sided work even of the work of justice that it's both uh, you know ministering to the needs of the poor and the oppressed but it's also speaking in truth to power right and advocacy and how though you know the, this so all of this stuff is complex and it's again it's a both and it's not an either or how does God want us to you know um, how does God want us to press into this more? Because um, one, one final thing I want to mention is that, um, you know, uh, yeah, last slide is that um, God, uh, his heart for righteousness and justice is one and the same. Okay, now in the, in the, um, in the Bible, in, in, in many of our translations, we have the word uh, righteousness appear. And when we think of righteousness, we, you know, we tend to think of it more as kind of a personal, individual, kind of a spiritual thing, right? Again, going along with that idea that, you know, there's the spiritual and the personal versus the corporate and the communal and the, and the social. And then the, whereas the word justice has more to do with that. It has more to do with the idea of, of something that's corporate, something that's physical, something that's social. And the interesting thing about the Bible, though, is that both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the words are the same. In Hebrew, it's sadaka, and in Greek, it's dikaiosune. Now, but again, and, and, you know, like, for example, my wife is Hispanic, and in the Spanish language, the word is translated into Spanish as the same word, justicia, right? Both of those words, sadaka in the Old and dikaiosune in the New Testament. But in our, many of our translations, we go with the word righteousness. And again, that's a that's not, that's not just a translation choice in our Bibles, but it's also a cultural choice, right? And there's many times in the Bible, like, for example, Revelation 19.11, where there's sometimes where, um, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a theologian at Yale named Nicholas Volterstorff who wrote a whole book about, uh, about this kind of this issue, about the translation. And he, ta- he makes the point that in Plato, in translations of Plato, oftentimes translators will go with justice, right? But in the New Testament... Almost all the time, if you look through, like, do a word study of this, almost all the time it's translated as righteousness in many of our modern translations, right? But he makes the point that there are some points where it is more appropriate, given the context of the passage, to translate it as righteousness, because it is more having to do with personal righteousness, kind of your, kind of your indi- more individual. But there's many cases where it actually is speaking more about justice and more about corporate justice, where we still translate it as righteousness. Probably the best example of that that he points out is in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for dikaiosune. 
And we, we translate that as righteousness, but Wolfsdorf is actually saying in that context, it clearly should be translated as justice because who, who are the people who hunger and thirst who are being persecuted? It's people who are being persecuted because of injustice, right? And so, again, this is something that is it, it got, in God's heart, in the scriptures. These things are, even in the language, when we look at the language, we see that these things are unified, right? These things, these concepts are one. And that even let what, what modernism has torn asunder, let, let what God has brought together, let not modernism tear asunder. Amen? That, that these are things that we are going to embody. And so as we close right now, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a typical black priest. This is my black side because I closed like four or five times. It's like the end of the Lord, it's like the end of Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> movies again. But um, as we close, though, again, I just want to encourage us to continue to move forward in God's work of justice, reconciliation, evangelism, discipleship, the spiritual, the social, let's, let's embody living those things together. Amen? The individual and the corporate. And as we move forward, let's move forward with the hope and expectation that, as Jesus himself promised, that those who, who press on to follow him in this kingdom work are not going to fail to receive a hundredfold, both in the age to come and in this present age. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God of justice, Lord, that you are the God of truth. Lord God, we thank you that, that we don't have to pick and choose. Lord, we thank you that uh, following you means all of that, Lord, that you are all that, Lord God. And so, Lord, we pray um, that you would show us, Lord God, where maybe we have um, sectioned off, Lord, things about who we are that we uh, have thought maybe don't have anything to do with you, Lord, how we use our money, how we use our time, how we use our relationships, how we use our bodies, Lord. Um, Lord, you know you're calling me into a healthier place of, of eating right and all these other, Lord, all, whatever the case may be, Lord, show us today, Lord God, where we need you to show up, Lord God, where we need to surrender more of ourselves to you, Lord God. But Lord God, I pray that we'd be encouraged this morning, encouraged to know, Lord God, that you want all of us Lord, you want, you want it all, not just part of us, Lord, not just on Sunday, Lord, uh, not just, not just um, our spirits, Lord, but you want everything. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you want to be around us, Lord. So many of us, when we fall into sin, Lord God, so much of our sinful behavior ultimately boils down to not feeling loved and needing to feel loved. But, Lord, you love us with an, un, with an unspeakable love, Lord God. And as we sang this morning, we are not going to turn back. We can't go back because you have been too good to us. So we thank you, Lord. I thank you for you, City Family Church. I thank you for the unity and the justice and the truth that they stand for and that they embody and represent. I thank you, Lord, that, that I am a part of this family, that we are one in the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that unity requires diversity. It entails diversity. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that that diversity and that unity is found in you. And Lord, we just lift up the holy name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, for the ministry of the kingdom that you have invited us into. We thank you and we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.